After that good greeting, you all had to give David. I will not say it again. It, it did it for all of us. The Bible reading today is from 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, from 10 to 17. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. This is the word of God. Thank you, Martha. Good morning, church. Have you already given up on what Pastor Dave has encouraged you to do this new season? Maybe I should have started by saying compliments of the new year. All right. Let's pray as we do get into God's word. But before doing that, let me just ask you, if you do have a little child that uh, gives you a hard time, uh, you are more than welcome to listen uh, the sermon from our cry room, which is uh, at the left of my side. And uh, you would have done well if you can uh, switch off your cell phone or put it on silent. It will help me and uh, the audience as well. Let's pray as we consider God's word together. <clears throat> Lord, we come before you this morning. We want to thank you for yet another wonderful opportunity that you have given us to gather here as your people. And Lord Jesus, it is my prayer that uh, our gathering may not be in vain. Lord, would you help us to understand your word? Would you help me in particular as I open your word? Would you bless me with clarity of mind, clarity of speech? And Lord, I want to pray for the audience that Lord Jesus, you may give them receptive hearts, the kind of hearts that are receptive to your word, that says yes to your word. For Christ's sake I do pray. Amen. All right, for those who were not with us uh, last week, um, it, would, it would be good for you to know that uh, last week, week we were looking at the first half uh, of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, as we were looking at the first half uh, of 2 Timothy chapter 3, we discovered three things that we discovered uh, about that. And basically, what the first nine verses uh, of Second uh, Timothy chapter 3 is all about is basically a spiritual diagnosis of the end times. What Paul is doing in that piece of scripture is to describe how life looks like in the end times, in the eschaton, in the last days. And there are three things that we discovered that are characteristic of the end times. And what are these three things? The first thing that we discovered that we actually saw from verse 1 of chapter 3 is that the end days, the end times, the last days are characterized by stressful times. There are times of difficulty. There are times of trouble. And secondly, we also discovered that the end times are actually times whereby people who move their focus away from God and put their focus on themselves, on themselves, as it were. 
So it is a time that is characterized by self-love, by people who are lovers of themselves. It is a period that is characterized by people who have dethroned God and enthroned themselves as kings. And thirdly, we discover that the last days are actually characterized by false teaching, by people who masquerade as true teachers of the gospel, whilst in essence, they are not. So those were the three things that we discovered as we looked at the first nine verses of chapter three. It's not a pretty picture, it's a sad picture that we see. So Paul is saying here, in the end times, things won't be okay. Things won't be okay precisely because of two particular things. People will be lovers of, of self and people who perpetuate false teaching. So if last week was about a spiritual diagnosis of the end times, this week, the passage before us is about the spiritual remedy for the end times. The passage before us is about how can God's people cope in these last days. How can we cope in these last days? So let's go straight into our passage. I want you to notice with me how Paul begins this section. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, Paul is starting this section by a stark contrast. And remember what he was narrating before. He was telling us of the moral degeneration that, are, that is characteristic of the end times. He was telling us of the false teaching that has infested our times. And now, Paul is actually contrasting these false teachers, these people who are degenerating morally, he's contrasting them with Timothy. He's saying to Timothy, you are distinct, you are not like them. And as he does that, he tells us what is it that Timothy has to do if he is to cope with the end times. So what is it that Timothy is to do if he is to cope with the end times? What is it that God's people are to do if they are to cope with the end times? Verse 10. You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim. The list goes on. If you are to cope in these end times, this is what you are to do, young Timothy. You are to continue in my example. Follow my example. Continue in my example, says Paul. That's what you are to do if you are to cope with the end times. You are to continue in my example. But what kind of an example was Paul? What was so special about him that he is presented as a model Christian? Let us quickly discern a few things about this Paul. Who is saying to Timothy, if you want to cope in these end times, you need to follow my example. Paul says, 
you have already been doing well, Timothy, because you have been following my example. So all you need is to continue in that example. But what in particular is Timothy to mimic? Timothy is to mimic or imitate Paul's teaching. Follow me in my teaching. Follow me in my doctrine. First hand there. And I want you to see what Paul says about his teaching elsewhere in Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Here is what, people, uh, what Paul said about his teaching. I am innocent of the blood of all because I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Paul says, if you want to cope in these end times, you have to follow my teaching, my doctrine. And what do we know of Paul's teaching? Paul declared the whole counsel of God. Paul was not a selective preacher. He was not selective about God's word. He taught the whole truth of God's word. And Paul is saying to young Timothy, Follow in that pattern. Paul is not like our modern preachers, the so-called prophets, the so-called might men of God, who are all over the streets of South Africa and all over the streets of Africa and all over the world. He was not like them. Who preach the gospel selectively. He was not like modern televangelists who do not know that before they speak of the glory, they have to speak about the cross. He taught the whole counsel of God. And Timothy is to follow. What else is Timothy to follow? He is to follow Paul's purpose. Listen again to what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I do not consider my life of any value nor as precious to me, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. So Paul's focus is not on himself, is not on his life. Paul's focus is on the gospel. Paul's focus is on Christ. And if Timothy is to keep his head up, he has to follow Paul's purpose. Listen again what Paul says as we consider his purpose. I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Acts chapter 20, 21, verse 13. What, de what determination Paul had? He had determination to save Christ at all costs. Paul's life was truly a purpose-driven life. 
It was a gospel-centered life. Hence, there is every reason for Timothy to follow his example. So here in Paul, we see the obliteration of the self and the enthronement of the Lord Jesus, which we don't see in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 3. Because what we see in verses 1 to 9 of chapter 3 is a dethronement of God and enthronement of the self. And Paul is saying to the young Timothy, if you want to cope in these end times, you have to follow my example. And what is that example? My purpose in life is to dethrone myself as I enthrone the Lord Jesus. What else is Timothy to follow as he is following Paul? He has to follow his life. And what does Paul say about his life? Acts chapter 20, verse 19. I served the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials. Paul's life was a life of service unto the Lord. And if Timothy is to cope with the end times, he has to live a life of service unto the Lord. And not only is Timothy called to follow Paul's example in his teaching, in his purpose, in his life, but he is also called to follow Paul's example in his endurance. In Acts chapter 14, verse 19, we are told, in fact, the author narrates the story of Paul being stoned by a hostile mob and he was left in the gutter for dead. But he never gave up. So, Timothy is to follow Paul in his insurance. In fact, if you want to have a full description or a, or a detailed chronicle of Paul's sufferings, you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 25 to 28. He says there, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and night in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers. I have been in danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from the Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger in the sea. Danger from false brothers. I have been in toil and hardship. And I have been through many Many sleepless nights I've been through hunger and thirst, and I've often gone without food. I've been in the cold. And apart from all these things, there is the daily pressure on me of enchant for all the churches. So Timothy is to follow Paul's example of endurance. As Paul narrates the whole ordeal that he went through, what is amazing is this. He never gave up. He continued in the gospel with much zeal and fervence. Now Paul is saying to Timothy, if you are not, Cope in these end times. You have to follow my example. Why is he calling Timothy as it were to follow him? Isn't this like drumming his own trumpet? Isn't this Paul being boastful? No, I don't think so. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. 
Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So if ever there is a thing that Paul is urging Timothy to do here, is to follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ, says Paul. The reason Paul is calling Timothy to follow him is that Paul was a genuine follower of Christ. Friends, we are to follow our human leaders only to the extent they follow Christ. So if Timoth is to cope with the end times, if Timoth is to cope in these last days, he has to follow Paul's example. And what do we see in Paul's example? It's a gospel-centered life. It's the kind of life, it's the kind of ministry that is informed by a true understanding of the gospel. Paul was genuine in both his doctrine and his conduct. But what else is Timothy to do if he has to cope with the end times? Firstly, he has to follow Paul's example. Because in that example, we see a gospel-centered life. But he has to do yet another thing. But before Paul moves to the next exhortation, whereby he's telling Timothy how else he can continue In the gospel, he says three things before he gets to verse 14. And what are these three things that he says? Here are the three things that Paul affirms, which he said, which, which he said before in verses 1 to 9. He affirms the reality of suffering for God's people. Look with me. Uh, Verse 12 there. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what will happen to them? Will be persecuted. So suffering is inevitable for God's people. So be wary of those kind of teachings that try to divorce Christian ministry and Christian life from suffering. Be wary of such preachers who come to you and promise all the good things. If you are a Christian, if I am a Christian, I'm called to enjoy both God's blessing and the sufferings that comes with me being a Christian. So he reminds Timothy of the reality of suffering for God's people. What else does he remind Timothy of? He reminds Timothy of the reality of continued moral deterioration or degeneration. In verse 13 there, what does he say? Evil people will go from bad to worse. So things are not going to change anytime soon. If anything, things are going to deteriorate. So keep your head up. Says Paul to Timothy. And what else? He affirms the reality of false teaching. Verse 13 there. 
while evil people and imposters will go, will go on from bad to worse. What will they do? They will do that deceiving and being deceived. There will be imposters. There will be deceivers. People who peddle false teaching, as it were. So there is no time for Timothy to relax. He has to soldier, soldier on. But how else is Timoth to cope with the last days? Verse 14. And I think this is where the pen drops. How else is Timoth going to cope with the end times? How can we cope with the end times? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Friends, the only way we can cope with stressful times, with moral degeneration of our time, with false teaching of our time. The only way we can cope is when you and me dig in in the gospel. Is when you and me continue in what we have learned and firmly believed. Timothy is to stand firm and continue in the true gospel. There is no any other remedy. There is no any other solution. There is no any other way in which we can cope in these end times. Only if we continue in the true gospel. Timothy is not to invent a new gospel. He is not to reinvent the wheel. But the young Timothy is to abide and cultivate stability in the truth he has learned. That's what Timothy is called to do. That's what we are called to do. But why should we continue in the gospel? But why is the gospel almost the only way through which we can cope with the end times? Why? Why the gospel? What's so special about the gospel? I want you to see the five things that Paul gives as reasons why there is no any other way to cope with the end times other than continuing in the gospel. And when you mention five things, when time is up, you make people even more distressed. But I promise, I'll stick to the drill. I know when I should end. And God's people should say amen to that. Because I think that's the most encouraging thing that I have said so far. <laughs> Why should he continue in the gospel? Five reasons emerge from this passage. Verse 14b. Continue. In the gospel, because you know from whom you have learned it. Continue in the gospel because it is authentic. How do you know that it is authentic? Because you know from whom you learned it. You received this gospel 
From who? Listen to what Paul says in uh, verse 1, in verse 5 of chapter 1. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your, grand, in, in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. You have received this faith from genuine people, from people who are authentic, from people who are not peddling the gospel. And who are these people? Your mother and your grandmother. So continue because it is authentic. Because the people who pass it on to you are authentic. And remember, it's not, he did not only receive this gospel from his grandmother and his mother. Paul says, follow the pattern of sound words which we have heard from me. So he also heard it from Paul, who is authentic, who was authentic, as it were. So, he has to continue in the gospel. Firstly, because it is authentic. He has received it from authentic people. Why? Why again is he to continue in the gospel? Look with me. Verse 15, the second part of verse 15. From childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. So Timoth is to continue in the gospel because he has been brought up in it. From childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Timoth is extremely familiar with sacred writings. He was instructed in them and believed in them as God breathed, as we shall see in verse 16. So he has to continue in it because he's already in it. He was brought up in it. He has to continue in it. Thirdly, Timoth is to continue in the gospel, is to continue with the sacred writings because they are a guide unto salvation. Verse 15b, they which are able to make you wise for salvation. Friends, the Bible is essentially a handbook for salvation. That's what it is. It gives us wisdom that leads to salvation. In other words, the Bible leads us to salvation. So, Timoth is to continue in the Bible, in the scriptures. For that particular reason. Listen to what uh, our brother John Stott, who is before the Lord, said. The overarching purpose of scripture is not to teach us facts of science, but facts of salvation, which no space of exploration can discover but only God can reveal. Scripture is a guide unto salvation, and Timoth is to continue with it. Verse 16, and our passage ends on verse 17. So there is hope we are getting there. Why else 
is Paul, is Timothy to continue with the scripture, with the Bible, with the gospel. Why else? And I think this is the prime reason why he has to continue with scripture, with the gospel, with the sacred writings. It is about the nature, the being, the ontology of the Bible. The kind of a text it is makes it imperative for God's people to continue in it. And what kind of a text is it? What kind of a text the scripture is? Paul says, all scripture, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed. So Timothy is to continue in scripture, is to continue with scripture, because scripture is God's word. The prime reason why Timothy is to continue in the gospel is that Scripture is God's breath. Friends, in the Bible, we encounter God speaking to us. The Bible is the primary objective means through which God speaks to his people. There is no any other primary objective means through which God speaks to us. God primarily speaks to us through his word. And if we are to cope in these end times, if we are to cope with these end times, we are to continue in the word. Listen to what the Apostle Peter says about Scripture. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of God, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Friends, as we ponder on what kind of a text scripture is. I think we need to understand this old dictum which says the Bible is God's word in man's words in history. The Bible is first and foremost God's word. That's what it is. The Bible as God's word is a theological book. It's a divine book. It is God's speech, as I have said earlier on. And this word, and this word of God comes to us in man's word, words. What does Peter say in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 to 21, the passage that I have just read to you? But men spoke from God. In scripture, we are encountering men speaking. The Bible is a piece of literature. And I think it has far-reaching implications for us to understand the Bible that way. So the Bible is a divine book, it's a theological book. The Bible is a book of literature. It's man's words. Man spoke from God. And they spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Notice 
the past tense there, as they work at it. The Bible is also a historical book. God, in his own wisdom, did not choose to speak to us through mysterious means. The Bible is a historical book. If you are to truly understand and interpret the Bible, we have to take the historical context seriously. Otherwise, we become unfaithful preachers of the gospel. Now, I just want to draw your attention to one of the most, in my own opinion, to one of the most misused or abused scripture passage in the Bible because people don't take God's word as it is. That it is God's word that comes to us in man's words in history. Take for instance this famous phrase which we find in Isaiah 53 verse 5. And by his wounds or with his wounds, we are healed. Have you ever heard our brothers from the other side of the Christian community preaching or talking about this verse? They take this verse. You see, people would go like something like this. As it is written in your word, by your wounds we are healed. Please, God, may you heal our brother, our brother from this sickness. I command the spirit of sickness to come out. Go right now. I declare healing right, healing right now. Have you ever heard such kind of things? But the question that I always ask myself when I hear this, is this, is this phrase first and foremost referring to physical healing? Listen to the whole verse, not even the whole passage, not even the whole chapter. Listen to the whole verse and you get to the gist of what this verse is saying. Just by reading it. Isaiah 53, verse 5, in full. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. It is crystal clear that it is in the context of salvation, of, our for, of the forgiveness of our sins, that this phrase comes up. So whatever this verse is saying, surely it has something to do with spiritual healing, the forgiveness of our sins. That's what it is all about. People abuse scripture because they don't understand that it is God's word in man's words in history. Yes, scripture, it's a historical book. Yes, scripture, it's a book of literature. But more than that, as I've highlighted earlier on, it is God's word. As we open the pages of scripture, we encounter God speaking to us. We encounter God speaking to us. How else or why else is Timothy to continue with the scripture. Why? Because scripture is profitable. 
verse 16 be there. Scripture is useful for teaching and reproof. Scripture is useful for helping us formulate the right doctrine. Together, teaching and reproof produce sound doctrine. Scripture is profitable for teaching the truth and refuting error. The only way in which we can combat or fight false teaching friends is by teaching the truth of Scripture and by rebuking error. So Scripture is useful it is the basis upon which we can formulate our doctrinal position. Scripture is useful for correction and training in righteousness. The word that is used here for training in righteousness is actually the Greek word for straight, for something that is straight. And uh, what this tells us is that scripture straightens us out. Those who accept its rebuke will begin to find their lives being straightened out. Scripture is profitable for the reformation of manners and right living. God's breathed word is profitable for all of life, all doctrine, all duty, all creed, and all conduct. And lastly, Timothy is to continue in the gospel because scripture is useful for equipping God's people for good work. Verse 17. Scripture is the chief means which God employs to bring people to, ma to maturity. Scripture builds us up. It makes us grow. I know we are in that period of the year uh, whereby uh, some people out there and possibly in here are making a big deal about the 10 days of fasting. In fact, some are even going to 40 days of fasting. And I can see my good friend there. I won't uh, name him for the sake of protecting him. I can see him say, I thank God I um, don't have to fast. But we are in that era whereby people are making a big deal about 10 days. 10 days of fasting are the real deal. Let me say, it's good to fast. Of course, one of the good things of fasting is that uh, you, 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 you reduce your weight. It's good. There's nothing wrong with fasting. But let me say this to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ. Fasting will never make you grow, not even a single inch, towards spiritual maturity. Only God's word can make you grow. Only God's word can make me grow. 
So if you may wonder, how can God's people cope in these end days? If you are wondering, how can we as a church cope in these last days? This is how we can cope. Continue in the true gospel of our Lord Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. I know the Americans are very good about uh, New Year resolutions and all that. I'm not quite sure whether you have been influenced by them. In case you have been influenced by them, if you have, here is my suggestion for a New Year resolution. It is for you and me to continue in what we have learned and have firmly believed in. Friends, let's continue in the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, this morning for speaking to us through your word. We thank you for reminding us of the centrality of scripture in our Christian life. We thank you for reminding us that as God's people, we can only continue to live for you. We can only cope with these end times by continuing to dig in in the gospel by being steadfast in the gospel, by being further entrenched in the gospel. And Lord, would you help us this day, this week, to continue in the gospel. For Christ's sake I do pray. Amen.